1 Samuel chapter 8. I thought of doing some sort of comment on politics at the beginning because most of this has to do with leadership and all the different opportunities that are out there. But uh, I think I've been exercised not to say too much about politics, although we will have probably one little comment a little bit later on. Verse 1 of chapter 8. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. A common story. We've talked about this previously in the book of 1 Samuel. Eli's sons turned away from the way of their father. Samuel, for some reason, the same thing happened with his children. The only comment I really want to make, because that's just the preamble for this, is that this is something that we have to constantly remember, that every single individual has a responsibility to make their relationship with God real, to walk with God. We can't base it on anybody else's faith or walk. Um, So, for example, that's one of the things that many of us feel at times and we have loved ones in our family. We know we've had the opportunity to hear the gospel and yet they don't walk in the way of God and we concern for them because we know that they can't walk on our behalf with God. They don't have a right relationship with God because of our relationship with God, but they themselves need to have that relationship with God. And Samuel's sons didn't. Now we have a prayer meeting here at the church every second Sunday of the month, and there's one this afternoon starting at 3 o'clock. And the people who come and meet at that prayer meeting are praying for those people in their family who don't know the Lord. Because it's important that our family, the people that we love, get to know Jesus. We, we can't, they can't come with us unless they have a relationship with God. And when we look at all eternity and heaven and hell, we want them with us. So if you have people in your family who don't know God, who even though you've shared with them are still rebelling against him, feel free to come and join us this afternoon at 3. Basically, it's a time from three to five where we pray together and say, Lord, we love these people. We want them to come to you and corporately we bring them to you. So if you're free, please do that. But then the elders came to Samuel in verse four and said, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. And you've already heard the response of Samuel and God. But as I look at that, I think that kind of makes a bit of sense, doesn't it? It seems logical on the surface. Over the last 200 years, through the period of the judges and through the time of Samuel, there's been ups and downs. There's been no stability. There's been, if you like, anarchy. Because everybody does what is right in their own eyes. And so the Elders of Israel are kind of a bit fed up with that system. They want stability. And so on the surface it seems logical what they ask. They come and they say to Samuel, 
you're good, your sons aren't good. Eli's sons weren't good, Eli was okay. And if we go back, it's up and down like that. We don't want that anymore. We want a king. We want a king who's going to bring stability to the scene. And it seems that what they ask is logical. If you take a step underneath that to their illogic of their request, the difference was going to be no different with a king, was it? Because kings have kids and those kids rule, so you can't guarantee that the king's kids are going to be as good as the king anyway. But for some reason, this is what they come and say to Samuel. This is their rationale that they bring before him. Malcolm Muggeridge, I think it was, who said that when people have a choice between anarchy and tyranny, they'll choose tyranny. If there's an opportunity to have some form of confidence that there is stability, they'll take that, even if it's a bad stability. Here's my political comment. Some people would suggest the choices that we're making of that. In our political parties, do we want anarchy or tyranny? I'll let you pick which one is which. But we make those choices. And these people say, well, look, we think we're happy with the king. We want tyranny. We understand, as we get later on, that he's not going to be great, but we want that. But not only is it logical, in some ways, if they have understood the law that Moses gave them, their request is in some ways biblical, if you like. Because back in Deuteronomy chapter 17, Moses, as he's talking with the people, God said this to them in Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 to 20. He said, When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, and you have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, Let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. So what are they doing? They've got there. They rock up and say, well, it's about time this was fulfilled. Give us a king. They haven't said, we're going to raise up a king. They've come to Samuel and said, appoint over us a king. So on the surface, it seems, not only are what they're asking logical, but in some ways it's in line with what God has said is going to happen. And they're responding appropriately. But... And here I think is the first application point that I've taken away from this as I've been reading through it. In verses 6 and 7, God doesn't just look on the logic of their request or even on the biblical validity of what they're asking, but he takes a step underneath to their motives. God understands their motives. And he says this in verse 7, well, firstly to Samuel, But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So now they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them what the king is going to be like. God says that deep down, regardless of what they said, he saw their hearts. And their hearts were, we don't want God to rule over us anymore. 
he understood that what they were asking is to be like the other nations where the king was ruler, set the law, set the tone of the nation. Up until now, God's the one who's been ruler, even though they've constantly disobeyed, and he set the tone for the nation. And the core problem that they have is that they're rejecting God. So what do we learn from this? Firstly, I think we have to be aware that God sees our heart. Motives are important. And in many ways, I think, from this passage, motives and the heart are in some ways more important than the actions that we take. Hypocrisy seems to be rife in the church through all of history. It was amongst the people of God. Jesus, when he talks to the Pharisees, says, on the outside, you look beautiful. They did the right things. But he said, inside you're rotten to the core. Now, I don't think it's true that everybody here is nice on the outside and rotten to the core. But I think it's important that what we do do is have a look at our motivations, our motives. I think of a number of examples of ways that we do this. We want to behave in a particular way. And so we find some passage of scripture that says, that's okay. This week, as I've been talking with various people, there have been some people who have been condemning certain actions that are happening in society. I've listened to people as they've rightly said there's a problem with same-sex marriage. Or they've rightly said homosexuality is wrong. Or they've rightly said abortion shouldn't happen. Or they've rightly said, and it goes on. But sometimes I wonder as I begin to talk with this person, is their heart motivation for saying this why they say it? So as I begin to talk to people about same-sex marriage, they're offended because it upsets their view of marriage and what they've done. And you begin to talk and they say, well, that just demeans everything that we've done. And I think to myself, well, why are you upset about that? Shouldn't you be upset the fact that God has ordained marriage to be in a particular way and it's him that's offended? Or I hear people talking about how being homosexual is wrong and you begin talking with them and they're offended by the act. The act itself worries them or makes them feel nauseous. And as you begin to have a conversation, you ask them, well, what right do you have to say that and who cares if you like it or not? I mean, let's face it, kissing's pretty silly. And we do that, swap and spit, doesn't make much sense, but we do it. What's your problem? But that makes them nauseous so they talk out against it and they justify their reasons because they don't like what happens. Instead of saying, God says it's wrong. That's enough. I'm offended for God's sake, not for my sake. My offence doesn't mean anything. I'm called upon to embrace and to love and to care for people, to express God's view of things. That's all I'm called upon to do, not to put my feeling and emotions in nice words. Thinking of abortion this week because there's the 40 days for prayer, the prayer vigil that's on outside the abortion clinics in town, and, and listening to some of the rhetoric that's coming up with all of that. 
And again, there's people feeling a hatred towards others because they kill little babies. And you begin to have that conversation, you wonder, well, do you really understand that it's God's life? It's, it's, God has made this creature and that's, that's what is wrong about this? That, that everything that, that is there is God's plans and purposes and we're coming in for our own benefit and our own sense of what is good for us and we're ending that? Do we think about it on God's terms or do we think about it from our own perspective? And we go to so many other things that are of a lesser thing. When we come to church, why do we come to church? Is it because we want to worship God and from our heart we really want to come and say, God, we love you? Or is it just what we do on a Sunday and we want to catch up with folks? And you can go around a whole list of things. And I'm not saying it's wrong to do all the right stuff. What I'm saying is that we have to be aware as these people found out that God is looking at our hearts. He's caring about our motives for why we do things. David did some awful things in the Old Testament and yet God said, he is a man after my own heart. His motives, much of the time, are what is pleasing to me. And so it's it's an encouragement to you as I read this that God doesn't just look on the externals. He can see deep inside. And a challenge to me saying as I'm behaving in ways that are Christian, that are godly, that are biblical, and in line, of course, with SDBC principles, principles, that I'm doing it because this is how I should be behaving. This is my heart. This is the, the, the ministry that I'm doing to the Lord, not for any other reason. So as an encouragement, I found, as well as a challenge, God looks at the heart. And when he looks at the heart of these people, he says, they're rejecting me. They're turning aside from me. They want a king like every other nation. You see, if we went back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, God says, when you ask for a king, understand that the king has to behave in a certain manner. You want a king like every other nation. And then he lists out a number of requirements for a king that are different from all the other nations. Very briefly, and a bit of a summary, he says they can't have a standing army. They're not the ones who protect you. You might have a king, but they're not to have a standing army. I'm the one who's still going to protect you, says God. God says, all right, you have a king, but he's under me. All the covenant laws are still going to happen. I will protect. He's not allowed really to tax you. He's not allowed to accumulate a whole lot of wealth. He's not allowed to do the same things and use people the same way that other kings do. He's not to have a a harem and build up lots of wives. He even goes so far as to say he's really not even allowed to make any laws. He has to have the law of God sitting beside him and every single day he's supposed to read that out and every day of his life that's what's supposed to motivate the way he behaves. So when you come and you ask for a king, says God in Deuteronomy, you can have one but all he really is is an underking. He's just a conduit the same way as the judges have been of dispensing my judgment, says God. But the people's request is not for that. They don't want a king under God. What they're really asking for is a king like the other nations. What do they want? They want someone who will protect them. They want someone who will go out and fight for them. 
See, the problem is if they look back at their recent history, God has protected them when they've been righteous and when they haven't and been needed to be punishment, he's taken a step back and said, punish my people. Whereas what they want is a king who, whether they're good or they're bad, is going to go out and fight for them. They, they want to change in the way things are happening. They actually are, in fact, having a treasonous request. They're basically coming to God and saying, we want to change government, basically. We've had a bit of a referendum and we've decided that, uh, well, we can't go full democracy yet, but we want a separate government from the one that we've had in the past. And God says, just in the same way they've been behaving like this all the time, they're really rejecting me. Second point that I think we can learn from this, understand that regardless of who we decide to follow or whatever else, God is king. He made everything and the laws are his. Whenever we seek some other way to do something, some other way to live that isn't following with his law, we're actually being treasonous. We're actually rebelling against our rightful Lord. As I've mentioned previously, I often go down into the the mall on a a Saturday evening. I I wander from my house. It's about five kilometres into town and I practice my sermon there and everyone thinks I'm crazy, but it's really dark so it's all right. Every now and then the police cars drive past and slow down. I was wearing my bandana yesterday, so they always slow down a little bit more when I'm wearing that. And a side conversation, I was in the, was in the shopping centre yesterday and I was wearing my bandana and walking along and this little girl's walking with her mother and she's about three years old and she stops and she looks at me and she says, you're a pirate. <laughs> and I said, yes, but I'm a good pirate. And she runs after my, I met a good pirate, I met a good pirate. Anyways, the police don't think I'm a good pirate. Um, but I was in the mall yesterday and there was these people who were presenting the gospel. And there's always people in the crowd who are heckling. And there was this one girl yesterday who's heckling. I stay there for about half an hour, three quarters, listen and, and chat with people. And as she's heckling, her comments are all like this. She's saying, why should we listen to you? There are many gods. I don't want to do what your God says. I think he's wrong. And she goes on and on and on. She's basically saying what these guys are saying. The attitude hasn't changed. Throughout history, we don't want the rules that God sets. We, we want to, in some ways, if we can't change them, we want to have this conversation with God and let him be a bit lenient. I have three children. I think I'm fairly clear. They ask, can I do this? And I say, no. And then they want to have a conversation. Well, don't you think? No. But, you know, we were looking and no. And we can have a three-quarter of an hour conversation where I'm agreeing with different logical points they bring up and in the end the answer is no. But for some reason, and they're growing out of this, they have given up, I think, they think that as they've reached a certain age in their life that they can 
not make the decisions for themselves because they're allowed to make their own decisions, that's fine. But when we're in that position of authority that for some reason it's become democratic. Now, I understand those of you who are younger are going to think, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. No. It's like this all the time. I'm looking forward to my later years. But with God, I think we sometimes figure when we reach a certain age with him or we reach a certain relationship with him that we can have that discussion with God. God says, well, I want you to love your wife. I do, Lord. But do you realise what she's like? Do you understand what she makes me do? Have you heard her nag me? And we have this conversation with God and say, these are the reasons why I don't have to love my wife. You know, I understand I have to love her, fine, fine. But you've got to understand that the reason I behave like I do is logical. I'm not talking about my wife, by the way. I just want you to know that. Or submit to my husband. That's what you want me to do, Lord? Okay, I can take that. But have you listened to his decision-making skills? Have you thought about some of the things he asked me to do? I can come up with better ideas than he can. And my ideas are logical. Lord, can we have this discussion a little bit more? I'm not certain about that. Children. (laughs) Obey my parents. Maybe in a past life parents were sensible. But have you seen mine, Lord? It goes around a whole range of issues. The people are coming and saying, we want a different king. God says constantly, always, they have rejected me. A reminder for me, and I think a reminder for us. God is king. He's like, I'm going to hold up my iPad. There's a Bible in here, many versions. He's written in his word how we are to live, how we're to treat one another, how we're to respond to him. He says that we're supposed to keep that by us as his children, not just as kings, but as we have the opportunity, constantly going through it, seeing what his law is and applying it to our life. Not arguing, not trying to see our way around it, but saying, you're king. It's hard for us, isn't it, because we live in a democracy? Sort of. We, We want to have a say in everything. Well, God hasn't changed with the times, I'm afraid. He's still into kings. And he's it. We need to come back and acknowledge the fact that he's Lord. He says, we say yes. He is our master. Any time that we reject that, we're being treasonous. We're taking away from his glory and from his honour. We're disobeying him and he rightfully judges us. One of the things this girl was saying yesterday was what right does your God have to say that he's going to punish me? every right. He's king, he made you. I don't know how many people as you talk to them say, that's not fair. Well, if I get to set all the rules and everything else, maybe. But God is king. And he says, I want you to live like this. This is why I made you to live like that. And if we don't live that way, we're dishonouring him, we're disloyal to him, we're sinful. Now, he loves us and he's dealt with it. That treasonous act that we've done that condemns us to a broken relationship with God. He's fixed in Christ Jesus. He in Christ Jesus has paid 
the penalty. He's been killed for us that we might have a relationship with God so we can have a returned right relationship with God. But let's not forget his king. Samuel then goes and says to the people, verses 10 onwards, this is what your king is going to be like. He's going to set up his own war machine. He's going to have chariots and horses. He'll take your children to, to be the leaders of that, your sons. He's going to take your daughters and use them to make stuff for him. Now, I love it here. He's going to make perfume and cooks and bakers. In other words, he's going to take your kids and they're going to be used to satisfy him. So he eats well and he smells nice. Must be a girl thing, I don't know. But that's what it's going to be like. And not only that, he's going to take the best of everything you produce and he's going to take your money and he's not going to give it out fairly. He's going to be a tyrant. He's going to give it to his friends. And the people turned around and said, well, yeah, we know that. That's what the kings are like in every other country. We understand the problems. But you see, this is our dilemma that I think they're saying. That's a problem, but we have a bigger problem, and that is God. The tyranny that we have from God, we find is harder than this, because we have to do everything that he says and live for him. And we don't want that. We prefer this. This includes rejection from God, This includes death and oppression and slavery. And yet people throughout all history have said we prefer slavery, tyranny, to living under the hand of the mighty king, our God, the one who loves us and made us. We want this. Now for those of us who have come and come to God and said you're our king, our Lord, we want to follow you, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Because we understand God's not only love but his holiness is different. I was working as a chaplain in um, Kelvin Grove many years ago, 20 plus. Um, and this, this guy came into my office one day, knocks on the door, and he says, Dave, can I talk to you? Well, he was, he was one of the drug people on the compound, on the school. He sell drugs. He used to, when I walked down the corridor, he would bow down and worship Satan just to annoy me, etc. Et he was not a nice boy. He says, can I talk to you? I wasn't feeling on top of my game that day. I said, no, not really. Off you go. I wasn't feeling compassionate. Had a bad day. He said, no, look, I really want to talk to you. I figured, okay. I said, you've got two minutes to interest me. Interest me in two minutes, you can stay. If not, leave. I, I was a long time ago. I'm much more gentle than you know, everything else. <laughs> so if you want to come and see me, please feel free. I'm very welcoming. <laughs> and he just stood there for a minute, not saying anything. And I said, time's ticking. He said, I don't need two minutes. Ticks down. I've got about 10 seconds left. I said, you got 10 seconds? He said, oh, that's about long enough. He said, I became a Christian on the weekend. I said, come in. <laughs> and we started having a conversation and he, believe it or not, for some of you out there, he'd been to a Christian rock concert and come to the Lord with rock music. Um, and he wanted to, to know more about Jesus. And I gave him a Bible, he'd never had one, and we started to talk about it. And he came back the next week and he sat down in my office and he said, my friends are all stupid. I said, well, I could have told you that. 
I said, but what makes you think they're stupid? He said, for the last week I have told them all about Jesus and they're not listening to me. They don't get it. I said, yeah, but I used to tell you about Jesus and you never listened to me and you didn't get it. He said, yeah, but I I, I say it better than you did. (laughs) And I had to have that conversation with him, the fact that for those people who don't know God, what the whole message is seems crazy at times. Because what are we saying when we come to Jesus? We're saying, you're our king, you're our Lord, we're sorry that we've sinned against you and from now on we'll seek to live according to your way and we thank you for saving us. That's the, that's the deal. We're saved and we go back to serving him with all our heart and the rest of the world doesn't get it. But then I think the saddest part here is at the end. People refuse to listen. We want a king. They had a king. What they're saying is we want a different sort of king. We will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all of that, he repeated it to the Lord and the Lord said, listen to them. Give them their king. That to me I think is the saddest part. God does allow us to make choices. He's sovereign, he's lord of all. But at times, if we continually reject him, he hands us over to the consequences of our decisions. So in the two things that we've talked about beforehand this morning, God looks at our heart and he is king. There's a warning here. Don't continue to reject those things. Thinking that God in his grace is always going to say, it's okay, I'll deal with it. God hands us over to the consequences of our actions, the consequences of our choices. Let's pray.